Good evening, everybody. Staying up late on this Saturday night as we are just minutes away on the East Coast. We're turning into Sunday, but that's okay. That's why we like Saturday night premium live events that WWE gives us, which was SummerSlam from Nashville, Tennessee. Hello, hello, hello across the wrestling platforms. I am Justin Labar here in Pittsburgh, PA, being joined across the country on the West Coast from my brother, from a different mother. He is, this is nasty, Alfred Kunawa. Great reunion. This is the night for us to be reunited in wrestling talk, my friend. The perfect night for us to come back together. It's great to see you again, Justin, and a happy Fast National Saturday to you. It was a very hot show. So hot, in fact, that I buttoned down three buttons. That's how hot it is today. I love the pink. I love, is, is that flamingos I see? That's flamingos, yes. I like very it. Charismatic like flamingos. It. Very WCW <laughs> spring break kind of feel yeah. here. <laughs> uh guys i i am really excited for this show uh it's I, I tweeted earlier it's been 10 days i took off for the last week and a half left town uh decompressed unwind it got off the grid of course as naturally as, as as fate would have it i, I leave and, and the wrestling world goes through one of the biz- biggest cosmic changes in 40 years with vince mcmahon uh saying he's stepping away proof would be in the pudding if we can find the pudding which we'll talk about tonight is he in fact removed from some final decision making uh, and here we are on, uh, you know, the second largest show traditionally in the uh, of the year being the first one that Paul Triple H Levesque is at the uh, creative helm for. So, so much that we are going to unpack here tonight on Wrestling Inc. If you're watching live, thank you, every, everybody on the video side, or if you're checking it out later on the audio, we appreciate that as well. Um, I, I mean, chat room's already filling up. If you got a chat you want to get in, if you want to be the third co-host, make sure you uh, hit that super chat, put those dollar signs in there. I don't know if Issa is going to show up. She might have a run in. If, if, if her music hits, we'll bring her on. She's in Nashville. So uh, I'm sure she's uh, emotionally conflicted with her two loves uh, battling out in an unprecedented last man standing <laughs> match, which we will get to. Uh, tractors and all. Uh, but Alfred, let's, let's kick it off on the show. We start off with Raw Women's Championship material of Bianca defending against Becky. Of course, there's a story of long term booking. Whether it was intended this way or not, they can at least tout that this is long-term booking going all the way back to last year. And, uh, you know, we start off with Becky attacking the left arm of Bianca. Uh, Becky making several counters to the KOD. Finally, the KOD's hit on the floor, but Bianca's a fighting champion. She doesn't want outside count-out finishes. No, she wants to win this uh, straight up with a pinfall submission. Finally, a Spanish fly off the ropes ends up countering into uh, with transitions into a KOD and Bianca Belair gets the victory over Becky. She def- uh, retains her title. There's a lot of post-match to talk about, but let's just talk real quick and give Bianca her love against Becky Lynch. Obviously not the first time these two ladies have met. A lot setting set the stage here. And, of course, this pressure being the first match of a big event like this. First match, I don't like the term curtain jerking because anymore in a major show, if you're not going to be the last match, you kind of want to be the first match. That's kind of like the second best thing you can get. What was your reaction to this uh, temperature setter, temperature setting match? I thought they killed it. The first time they did meet, I went on national public radio and I said it was the greatest women's match in the history of WrestleMania. And I strongly believe that. I don't think this lived up to that, which is not fair to grade them, but I think they came close. And this might be one of the best matches in the history of SummerSlam in terms of women's matches and, or any match that it could hold up to. I thought they did a good job. I just love their chemistry. I love that pace that they set. They go very fast and uh, they wrestle at this frenetic pace, very similar to the time that they wrestled at WrestleMania 38. I really like this match. 
I thought that they did a good job opening it up, and I completely agree with your standpoint in terms of the first match. I look at these cards much like a comedy set. Your second best joke is a joke you open with, and your best joke is a joke you close with. That first match, that first joke, that first tone setter is very important, and I don't think it's fair to look at it as uh, something that's a curtain jerk. We just saw on ROH, although Jonathan Gresham not, might not have been very happy about it, they opened that show with the World Championship, and I had no problem with it because if it's a big match and they need to get the crowd going, that is what the responsibility of the first match is. Absolutely. It, it, absolutely. Keep, keep the crowd energized from the start. Uh, yeah, th this was not. Um, th this was a very good match. Uh, I don't know if it's Bianca's best. I don't know if it's Becky's best, but I enjoyed it. You know, I will say uh, what 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 I did like from start to finish was at, at the start I was complaining, uh, and I even tweeted something to the effect of, "You know, look, the, the fans are on their feet for Becky. They want to cheer Becky. Uh, Becky is, is a is a is a star of this of this generation, uh, but lately the booking of her has been this." emo lady gaga vibe where she's just kind of just disinterested in the fans i like the fact that this hard fought battle after the match we do see the handshake we do see some mutual respect we thought becky was gone this is where things get juicy so bianca standing tall looks like she's finally uh you know shoved away the the, the, the demon that is uh, becky lynch in her in her resume all of a sudden we hear bailey's music now this was not a total surprise bailey was heavily rumored uh, that she should be back. She'd been training in the Performance Center. She was kind of like one of those worst-kept secrets that she'd probably show up at SummerSlam. So you see Bailey, crowd reacts. Good to see her. It's been over, well over a year, I think a year and a half, actually. Mm -hmm. So you see Bailey and think, okay, that might be that. Here's our next signaling of the next challenger, Bailey. But no, more music hits. Here comes Dakota Kai. And for anybody who's kind of a, uh, a casual in-and-out fan uh, tuning into Alfred and I, uh, Dakota Kai, of course, who had a, a lot of NXT black and yellow reps she was released by WWE on april 29th and the word on the street was she wasn't going to resign a contract she was unhappy with everything going on so they just kind of washed their hands on april 29th of her so it was believed that she was a free agent maybe she'd show up on aew but no here she is live and in living color on SummerSlam. but that's not it all the great things come in threes a third set of music hits here comes eo shirai kind of similar to dakota kai shirai not officially known to be released but it was believed that she might be done and that she's going to let her contract run out and that both sides have kind of come to a stalemate uh, for what they were going to do with each other. So, uh, Alfred, as it's going to be probably a theme of tonight, and and I'm sorry, people just have to accept this. This is Triple H's first big night at, eight, you know, what, six days after the release goes out that he's officially going to be in charge of creative. This had Triple H booking all over it as we have a new regime of women uh, then standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with Becky and Bianca who are standing side-by-side -side in the ring. Uh, but again, just the way that he showcased the women and the energy that was put into this women's segment uh, felt so far removed from anything we've been seeing anytime recently in WWE on Raw. Yeah. Tonight was a bad night for all the conspiracy theorists who think that Vince McMahon is still in charge somehow. I'm one of those guys, by the way. I think there's a red phone at Gorilla Position that rings when Tommaso Ciampa's on TV for too long. But I will say, this did look like Triple H's stamp. Like, this was Triple H communicating to the world, this is my show, this is a new era, I'm going to get my people back in here. And that's exactly what this came off as. I think that was the energy in the air. That's the elephant in the room, is how is this show going to be different with Triple H? And this is your big angle. And I think they, they did a great job with it. I will say this, not to nitpick, 
I would have done it in the reverse order. I, I just think Bailey coming back, I think they did a great job. This is a great segment. I just think you start off with Dakota Kai coming back. Now you're really kind of signaling. That's like setting the tone that, oh, my God, Dakota Kai's back. Then you get that Triple H narrative, and then Io Shirai, and then Bailey for the, the big pop. I mean, you know, whether it comes to psychology and how people react, it's a different thing. But I had no problem with this. And listen, I need I need Bailey, Io, and Dakota Kai against Bianca Belair. Sasha Banks and Naomi. I think that would be a great three on three. I love that Becky Lynch is a baby face again. I think she's been a heel for one year for too long. And I like the fact that she's now coming to her defense and probably going to oppose these three heels. But uh, I'm just watching this segment thinking, man, Sasha and Naomi might not be too far behind. You see, I'm going to disagree on the, I, I like the order. I like the put Bailey out there first, because again, she, like I said, she was kind of the worst kept secret. It was kind of, you know, believed to be, and we all know she's still with the company. I believe she'd be back here sooner than later. So I like that because, like I said, at first I just interpreted it as, okay, here's Bailey. I wasn't expecting any other music to hit. So I kind of like that build uh, then to the two other ladies who we thought were as good as gone. Uh, one, legally having been gone, at least for some amount of time since April 29th. So, yeah, this, uh, and to the red phone, we'll, we'll, we'll just keep revisiting that theme of, is there that special phone of, is somebody sitting um, you know, in, in Greenwich Village, uh, with uh, you know, in, in his fine in his finest dining, uh, making a quick call of critique. There's a lot of things that we can look at, and we can try to dig into the the weeds of. Ooh, that's that's a little different than what they would have done. And then I guess maybe the more important thing is the follow up. Let's see how Monday Night Raw goes. Do we hear and see some of the same things, or is there still a mysterious voice and wizard behind the curtain who says, "Let's stop that." Very great. I'm actually glad you brought this up at the front because we'll, we'll just kind of keep that theme as we go. Let's get in a couple super chats here real quick. Marvin B. Uh, my, oh, my, this women's faction looking fire. Uh, yes, Marvin. Uh, I agree. Certainly a lot to follow up with there. Crop top crew. Crop top of Blue Chew with a dollar. Thank you very much, Blue Chew. Um, let's see. What else we got? <laughs> Keith says the fact that Triple H was tweeting throughout the pay-per-view like another guy, TK, great pay-per-view and definitely change oh, is yeah. coming. Listen, this is all building to a WrestleMania night Twitter feud between Triple H and Tony Khan. Vince McMahon was not really on Twitter like that, although I just think the world needs Vince McMahon on Twitter. Now that he has free time, I would just love to see what Vince would be like just tweeting a storm. I think that should be the hook for the September 4th show with NXT. Is that Vince will be tweeting live throughout the show. That'll get people to tune in. But I, I just think that you see Triple H tweeting here and there. Tony Khan loves to be on Twitter. Tony Twitter fingers, we love him. I think this is building to them coming face to face and having a Twitter feud, and I'm here for it. Uh, you know, you never say never. Um, so, I mean, who knows? I, I, I will say this. Uh, again, it's, it's another one of those conversations that we can kind of, you know, have now or table for. Uh, future episodes, but look, if, if if Triple H truly is in charge, which there's a lot of things that kind of point towards again his fingerprint on it, um, that's a, that's a much bigger topic that we can talk about for the next couple of years because obviously a lot of talent in the last two years left WWE either by their choice or by WWE's budget cuts, budget cuts, um, and have since joined AEW, the, the progressive cool movement where there's no bosses and you kind of get to do your own thing and write your own promo and whatever. Um, but if back over in New York, if things are switched to where the culture has caught up uh, and it's still the place that has WrestleMania and it's still the place where you can make the biggest amount of money, that's a very interesting dynamic that Tony Khan and AEW have to deal with. Uh, now it's no longer you can play, 
oh, you're not going to go back to that monster out of touch old man. If the monster out of touch old man is no longer actually there, and it's a, again a progressive, you know, better culture, and that still has WrestleMania and giant pain shows in Saudi Arabia. Forget your politics, but if you can make six figures for one night of work, it, it, I mean, this just completely blows the dynamics up right now of of, of the business. So uh, again, that's the conversation that we can we'll, we'll probably be having a lot more of uh, throughout the next couple. You know, months and years if, if this is all here to stay but uh overall a, a very I, I, you know I, I don't think they could have done a better opening got the women out there and, and all, all all in all you know again becky like i said looks like she's gonna kind of get back to being a baby face which is what they need to do anyways and we have a lot of women uh back and returning uh to tune into this monday night uh for raw so very entertaining start here uh, let's go up next. Uh, second match again. Second match. Sometimes your your popcorn match, but none doing here. You don't put a pop. I would never label a popcorn match with a guy who has twenty four million Instagram followers. <laughs> I'm talking Logan Paul versus the Miz. Miz out there with his wife Maurice and Champa, all in matching, all in uniform. You know, all in uniform. That looks nice. Um, I mean, Alfred, we really don't get to talk about Logan Paul much. Logan, such a showman. You know, mm-hmm. from 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 the kicks and, and and the Miz covering up and giving him just a little lackadaisical kick, uh, brutal code breaker from the Miz onto Paul's face, um, uh, a beautiful blockbuster from from Logan Paul uh, on the Miz. Um, Logan Paul applying the figure four couldn't help but make a note where a day ahead of Ric Flair's last match, yeah. and here's here's the social media influencer applying the patented figure four in Nashville on the Miz. Uh, Champa gets tossed out. After he gets caught by the ref trying to uh, cheat, AJ Styles kind of comes out, uh, kind of awkwardly. They play his music, and then he just kind of appears uh, to ringside. But he kind of, yeah, he kind of equalizes and gets Champ out of the mix. Um, Logan then follows up with a phenomenal forearm. It was AJ Styles, the guy who's training Logan Paul. Uh, Logan Paul hits a frog splash from the top rope all the way out to the announce table. Picture perfect frog splash, might I add. And he finally caps it off with hitting a skull crushing finale on to the Miz. It's amazing. A decade ago, they were relying on the Snookies and uh, you know pull out some of the other celebrities, uh, Donald Trump and other other people to be involved, whether it was just for one physical spot or for whatever. They have really evolved into finding both the biggest influencers and those who can athletically commit with passion. Uh, Logan Paul, Bad Bunnies, Pat McAfee will talk later. Alfred, this was a this was a five star knock out of the park for me. Uh, unbelievable, Logan Paul is already one of the greatest celebrity wrestlers of all time already, and he right. only has room to improve from here. This Logan Paul, all I heard going into this pay per view since he has debuted, and I don't necessarily disagree with this notion, is that all these people are gonna turn on Logan Paul. Why are they trying to make him a babyface? WWE out here trying to manipulate people of cheering Logan Paul. Turns out, in order to get over Logan Paul to this hardcore wrestling audience, to this professional, stubborn wrestling audience, all he had to do was freaking wrestle. Like, that's how he's going to get over with these people, is by wrestling. Not any of these carny tricks. Just put him in the ring, have him do the five-star frog splash. Not only does he get how to get over, because if you're an influencer, it's a different type of getting over. you got to get yourself over. He's got to kind of build himself up for that 24 followers to be emotionally invested in him. And that translates very well to pro wrestling. So he's got that going for him. And, oh, by the way, he is a pretty goddamn good athlete. So I just think that this match was pretty much designed to get people to forget that they hated Logan Paul, and it succeeded because they were on their feet despite wanting to hate this guy. And I just thought he was great. I Just everything that he was asked to do, he knocked it out of the park. 
Well, and they got me hook, line, and sinker. I, I, I since Mania, I have been bought into Logan Paul. I, I, I understand why you work with him for the for the following and influence he brings. And after his performance in Mania, I was like, okay, this guy belongs. It was much like the same the bad, you know, and Bad Bunny obviously doesn't look as much the part because he's a smaller guy. But but Bad Bunny, of course, did not embarrass himself or the business. But Logan Paul looks apart at six foot four, and he's I mean he, he I mean to be quite frank, he looks better than some of the he looks better than some of the people they have in the performance center. He looks better, you know, than some other people that are on TV and wrestling. So he looks it. But I will I will admit I questioned why are we building to this match at SummerSlam with a Miz where we are having Logan Paul be this baby face? I did question that because I felt. He just oozed that heel charisma, uh, both with his reputation coming in and, and then just his performance predominantly being a heel um, at, at Mania. But I, I have to agree with you. I think if the goal here was to, like, we're going to make people get on board here, um, then that is, that, that's what they just did here. So that's that. I mean, if you're talking about influencers, uh, of course, you have, you, know, you have Alfred. Uh, you have Logan Paul. And you, of course, have the Demon Diva live from Nashville. <laughs> What's going on, guys? What's up, Queen? It's a party here in Nashville. You still at Nissan Stadium? I am. I'm trying. I'm trying to wait out the traffic. Smart. <laughs> but I will say, Brock was in the ring for a good 15 minutes after everything ended. So. Well, yeah, because he's the, ring? Because he's the yeah, only he one that knows that. He's the only one that knows how to drive the tractor to get the ring moved. Yeah. No, he got back up there to get his cowboy hat, and then he just lay there with a the cowboy hat on. It, it was hilarious. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that main event. You guys know that I'm a big fan of big, meaty men slapping meat. I, yeah, already... I got plenty of that. How did you like the crowd tonight, Easton? Because even though it was outdoors, I always worry about outdoor shows and that the noise is going to go up into the air. But I thought the crowd was really good. So I am in the press box, so we couldn't hear him. And I, 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 still, I still was able to hear quite a couple of pops, even though, you know, we have the sound here. So you can't really hear what's going on outside. So, I mean, I thought the crowd was hot. I did think it died down a little bit towards the middle. But then that main event, every, everybody was on their feet for it. And the opening match. I thought the opening match and the main event were the, hottest, the two hottest things on the show tonight. Yeah, we just talked about the opening, uh, and I said he said, you know, it just we both agreed. Offer and I had Triple H's fingerprints all over a different kind of booking. It's a beautiful thing. I'm bringing bring all those women out. Yeah, and let's talk real quick. Uh, Logan Paul. I mean, I mean, I mean, come on. We've gone from the we've gone from the celebrities who can barely function to now we have Bad Bunny, Logan Paul. Bad Bunny said the standard. Say it, Justin. Yes. Bad Bunny showed up, said the standard. Now everybody, they can't, they cannot, you know, try to do better than that. So. We got to thank Bad Bunny. No, I thought, I thought Logan Paul looked amazing tonight. Yeah, he really did. I, I said to Alfred, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. He looks better than many other people that are on TV wrestling right now. Yes. I know. Is that not? If he could only cut a promo. If he could only. Give him, give him, give him a mouthpiece. Let's do that. Let's you try don't it. think Logan Paul can cut a promo? I mean, I think he's, some of the stuff they give him is kind of whack, but I think he's just fine on the mic. I didn't like the impulsive uh, segment on Monday Night yeah. Raw, if I'm being honest with you. I, I liked the opening on Monday Night Raw when they started with the brawl, and I thought that was actually enough, and I wish they would have not gone back and done anything after that, because if they did that and put the match that they put on tonight, it would have been amazing. It was the whole, I think, I, I, I just didn't like the segment. I would like to see what he can do next because I hope that he's not done, especially after that performance tonight. I thought Logan Paul looked amazing. Yeah, and I'll be curious uh, how often we see him perform. I mean, you know, with them making the point of touting. Sign a contract. Touting, that's what I mean. I mean, I don't think mm -hmm. we're going to see him on Friday Night House shows in Poughkeepsie, New York, 
but I think that like we might see him uh, maybe as much as we see Brock, quite frankly. Yeah, that's what he should be. He should be more of an attraction, kind of a part-time guy, because he does have that star power and that, you know, that celebrity essence. But I do think that whatever the most a part-timer could perform, he should be he should be on like the edge schedule where he is a part of the WWE roster that we see here and there. Because I think he's just taken to this like a fish to water. He's the Kurt Angle of celebrity wrestlers. I'm gonna need then uh, Logan Paul versus Bad Bunny. Let's put it to the test. Let's see who the yes. best celebrity guest is, right? Book it. I was uh, watching this with my brother, and that's the, one of the first things I said when he did his first big spot. Like, I need Bad Bunny in this guy at WrestleMania this year. <laughs> Do you think they could carry him? I think they could carry a match actually, especially after seeing uh, Logan Paul tonight. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think they could. Um, I know it's I scary, huh? <laughs> He's a show off. Show off your press box fashion. What you got going yeah. on tonight? It's a romper. It's a blue romper. You know. Look you at know. You in Nashville. <laughs> Wait till you see my after party outfit when I get out of here. Though. I don't think we're live streaming that. <laughs> uh, another super chat here. Marvin saying, uh, "Do Kai and Io get to revive the tag team titles now?" Uh, I don't know. I mean, the, look. I think really. I think this actually might sum up a lot of things that we all might be feeling collectively. And obviously, and I haven't talked to either of these people at all for a week. So the feeling I had tonight, ladies and gentlemen, I felt tonight like anything is possible. Right. I, I felt like literally anything was possible. I had a lot. I did a, I did a Q&A on Twitter earlier. People were asking who's most likely to first return to, you know, is Killer Cross, Bray Wyatt. And I said, look, it really all feels possible because it kind of just feels like, Whatever edicts and policies and whatever that might have been, we might have been dealing with whatever walls and the containment feels like these walls are being knocked down, and it's all. And so, like tonight, felt like literally anybody could have shown up, anything could happen, anybody could have won, anybody could have lost, and it still has that feeling of of that unpredictability, which is we have not felt that in so long. I I agree one thousand percent, especially after that opening segment, we saw so many names show up. I'm so happy to see Bailey come back, by the way. Um, Dakota Kai, I popped huge. Io Shirai, I'm happy to see that. There was a lot of rumors being reported, and she kind of tweeted about that. So I'm excited to see what's in store. I will say I'm excited to watch WWE product just to see what happens, and that's something that we haven't been able to say in a long time. And the fact uh, that anything can happen is very important. Not that it happens, actually. That idea that we're excited yeah. that anything can happen is what's going to keep people watching. So I think it'd be very wise of Triple H, even if he doesn't plan on bringing a bunch of people back, which I don't think WWE will, because the reason a lot of them are gone is because of sale, budget, business reasons. But it would be very wise to bring back a Dakota Kai, a Karen Cross, somebody just on a small basis or whatnot, to feed into that idea that, oh man, who else is going to come back? As long as that narrative right. is alive, that we could get all these returns, people are going to tune in. Well, sure. And a guy like a, a guy like a Cross, who we know was a Triple H, you know, direct project in NXT, uh, you can bring him back in six figures and not have to explain a lot in a quarterly meeting versus a Bray Wyatt who you know, where poorly was making deep into the seven figures and it's probably not going to come back for anything less. And that's something you might have to explain more on a business side. So yeah, a lot okay, of, but, uh, but bring him back too, though. Bring him back. Yeah, you're gonna well, I agree, but I'm, there's a new era. There's a new era. I agree. I'm just saying that, there, that there's, there's calculated moves uh, to the point of what we're all just saying. And we got some commentary on Twitch. All three of you fine humans are looking actually happy tonight. Like this isn't a pain to do. <laughs> Listen, I love I, doing these shows, but no, I, I get do. What <laughs> I do, but I, you guys know Brock and Roman are my favorite. I've been I've been a little hurt by the by what people have been saying about this feud tonight. They needed that match. 
they needed to put that show on and i thought that match was incredible i gotta jump off here i just wanted to crash the party but i wanted to talk about the main event i'm gonna jump ahead of you guys i really love the chaos i thought it was perfect and i really think that their feud i don't know if this is the closer because now i want to see it one more time don't come for me i want to see it one more time but i thought the visual the tractor the ring tilted all of the chaos the fail cashing i thought it was just a perfect combination for an excellent main event and i really think that brock lesnar and roman reigns shut down everybody that was talking negatively about this match coming to be ran one more time. Isa, you have a you have a crazy appetite. How many how, how many t- how many rounds do you need to go? You got your two guys like 12 uh, times. How many rounds do you need? I I'm a, I'm a needed a good 10 more times. Wow. Ten, that's a stamina for Isa. Oh, a... I I wore this. I wore the spark. I know I haven't done the sparkles for tomorrow. It's for Ric Flair. We're saving the sparkles for Ric Flair's final match. Cheat uh, black. Come on. Come on. I can't wait. I cannot wait. <laughs> All righty, so well, you you apparently can go more rounds than any of us can go. Uh, give give the <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, going to the after party now, so I gotta bounce. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a, there's a blue chew and manscape uh, plug there. Um, uh, go ahead and give everybody the plug. Uh, where you're covering Ric Flair's last match tomorrow? Give the plug. Where can everybody find? I know I you're am. doing tons everybody of interviews. Can, yeah, everybody can find. I've been doing. I've been I've been working, you guys. So I'm gonna party it tonight. But you guys can find my coverage on my YouTube channel NYC Diva. Also Lucha Libre Online. You can see everything that I did. I got to talk to Bobby Lashley, Damian Priest, Tommaso Ciampa. I got to talk to uh, Cesaro, Claudio. I, I'm sorry. I still get confused. I got to talk to him today. Very excited about that. Rikishi. I asked him if he was the real head of the table or not. You guys can see all of that in those platforms. You've been killing it, Issa. I've been watching your interviews. I saw even your interview with Hugo Sinevich, which I grew up with as a wrestling fan. Who would, on the Saturday shows, they would run it back, and it would only be in Spanish in the Chico, California market. So I would watch it in Spanish. Not that I, I learned up. Spanish, but I, I fairly understand it, and it's because of that. And and I just watching you guys in Spanish was a lot of fun. I grew up listening to Hugo <laughs> and Carlos Cabrera, and I gotta tell you, just sitting there having a drink with them yesterday was so surreal. It was such a highlight for me. So I'm gonna go have more drinks. Thank you guys. Keep doing the Alf- show. Alfred understands. All. Alfred understands drama because of their Spanish. I love it. Thank you, Isa. <laughs> Bye, guys. Be safe. <laughs> <laughs> There's the run-in. Uh, they would have it on Univision. They would have WWE superstars on Univision, only in Spanish, and so I would just watch it back. Or they would replay Raw because I it, sometimes it would be just past my bedtime. I'd have to go up to bed, so to watch it back, I'd have to do it in Spanish. I would love. I don't think I, I saw that she did the interview with them. I haven't uh, checked it out, and, and I'm not fluent in Spanish. I would love to know if anyone's ever asked them, like, is it a, is it a proud badge of honor that like the Spanish announce table was like a, a is like a, a shtick? You know, yeah. like you know that at some point you're gonna be the center of the show for high drama. Yeah, that that's a great question because I want to know how they feel. Maybe they feel, hey, we don't want to be the butt of your jokes. We don't want this. We're professionals here. Right. We're trying to do our jobs. We don't right. need people breaking I, our maybe, table. Maybe, maybe like for one night, can we just sit in our chairs and have our microphones <laughs> and not have everything just destroyed? Not have not have my Pepsi spilled in my lap. You know, that spot really is a rib on the announcers because afterwards, sometimes it'll happen halfway through the show and they're sitting there with nothing to put their papers on and it looks uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, you know, you and I have both worked. Uh, we, we, we've worked in the broadcasting world. We've had to work with scripts, had to work with people in our ear. That's enough pressure as is. And, and then, oh, by the way, you th- throw your entire uh, area being demolished. <laughs> um, not, not the best workplace. Um, all right, so awesome of Visa to drop in. Uh, again, check out all of her work. She's doing great stuff. She's down in Nashville. Uh, in the weekend's not over. Saturday, and then we got Ric Flair's final match. Uh, tomorrow, which we'll we'll touch on here in, in a minute. Um, all right, up next, United States Championship match, champion Bobby Lashley up against Theory. Theory, of course, uh, walking around with that briefcase. That's uh, a note to keep in mind. 
Uh, he used the briefcase before the bell, trying to get a little one-up on Lashley, but Lashley just looked dominant in this match. I, I, I would not at all classify it as squash, but very little offense for Theory beyond the briefcase assault. Uh, Lashley's going to win in pretty quick time with the hurt lock. Uh, so this definitely felt like creative and booking, continuing to keep Bobby Lashley uh, just warmed up uh, in case they need to uh, inject him into a main event scene again. They 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 are certainly not allowing him just to to drift off into mid card irrelevance. Not at all. And his reactions that he gets are very big. And he did that rare thing when I saw him get attacked before the match. Immediately, my mind kind of goes to, oh, this is how they're going to make the excuse for Austin Theory to win because he lost last time. So maybe they're going to 50-50 him and not at all. And with Theory, I don't know whether to be concerned with the Austin Theory character because they've really done a number on him. The basic build to Brock versus Roman is who's better at beating the shit out of Austin Theory. That's basically what's been happening. And then it happened again tonight. And then he lost to Bobby Lashley. But the reason I can't be too concerned is because this is WWE's philosophy, I think, when it comes to Money in the Bank. One that I don't agree with at all is... For the past several Money in the Banks, they feel that they're comfortable beating them time and again under the guise that, well, he's got Money in the Bank. So whenever he cashes in, he could be over or being Money in the Bank winner makes you over. I think the template for Money in the Bank is Edge, where they just used it for a guy who wasn't necessarily ready to be champion. But they took that six to eight month period and they got him over as a champion with that briefcase. So by the time he cashed in, he immediately translated to being a superstar. They were surprised by how well he did as champion. And I think it was because of how well they developed him while he was a Money in the Bank winner. Well, and if we're talking about the same run here, Alfred, let's not forget with Edge. Edge got the Money in the Bank by bad happenstance. Mr. Kennedy had it. They thought Mr. Kennedy was going to be out for a very long time. Kennedy basically had to drop it to him. Yes. Uh, and, you know, I mean, so, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's, 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 Money in the Bank is funny. It's, it's a license to steal. So it, it almost always needs to go to the heel. Um, you know, Rob Van Dam did it right early on. He was a babyface. He called his shot. It was a very babyface thing to do. Call your shot, but call your shot and put it in your backyard. You know, he did it at one night stand with John Cena. So he, you know, he put John Cena up against the wall in that environment, but he still did a babyface thing and called the shot out. Otherwise, yeah, it's a heel thing. It's a license to steal. But I agree. Uh, since Theory has won the briefcase, I think, again, I just took a vacation. So maybe, maybe unless I missed something, I don't think Theory has won a match on TV. <laughs> I don't think he has. Either. I'm almost positive he has not. Yeah, I, I think he's lost everything on TV. So I kind of agree. It's one thing to have the briefcase and to kind of like downplay somebody and make them look like they're going to be a dark horse to come out of nowhere. But when that person has a license to steal, you still want that person who's stealing to be worth something. You don't want them to be living on the street homeless uh, and going from rags to riches. I don't. You don't want that far of a of a of a disparagement is kind of what I'm getting at. You want somebody who still you still feel like the audience has a belief that okay, if they cash in, they could be the champion for you know, for a while. But but every loss right now for theory is kind of feeling like and now I guess I'll bleed that comment that we're you and I are making that 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 that, that commentary into the next question. Back to our theme tonight of Triple H taking over for Vince. Theory is a Vince guy. It was played out on camera and that was the word on the street backstage. Is Theory a Triple H guy? It's a great question. I don't know where the love for theory ends and the just basic money in the bank booking begins, but we're going to find out. I'm just going to say, looking at this, if I were to watch from Monday Night Raw to SummerSlam, and I'm a casual fan who hasn't really been keeping up with the product, and I look at a theory, and I just, oh, this is a new guy. He's got money in the bank. If I look at the way they booked him with your daddy isn't here anymore, and then getting beat up, and then getting beat up on SmackDown, and then getting beat up here, 
And then let's say he cashes in tomorrow and succeeds. I'm like, wait, what? That guy? The, the guy, the dad, the who's your daddy guy's champion? That would be my reaction. And I don't think that's what they're intending in beating Austin Theory time and again. Uh, yeah. Um, and you don't mind you look theory was used in NXT. So it's, you know, it's not, to, I'm not trying to project that he's, uh, on a, on a blacklist for triple H, but it is the question of, you know, if Vince saw him as the guy that he's going to annoy in the next year as being the, as being the guy that maybe on, you know, uh, dethrones the world champion, you know, maybe triple H does, or doesn't see that. Maybe triple H thinks there's other routes to go before that. Um, the, the beautiful thing of the money, in the bank is that you have a year so they can let theory just kind of hold this for a while until they figure out exactly who they have, both currently on the roster, both injured and coming back, i.e. Cody Rhodes, and then also who could be signed and returned. Going back to our thread of Killer Crosses, Bray Wyatt. I'm going to toss another name out there. I've been watching for a while, and I've worked with I've worked with the past, and I got uh, uh, great love and, and great hate with him, uh, in the ring. A guy's like a big cast. Who has had the run impact? That's ble- you know, like there's a lot of names out there that it's just like it feels like there, there, there's a lot of potential of uh, again if there's now the guy who's head of talent rela- you know t- talent relations and creative when Triple H, um, whole different dynamic. So there's just so much to watch right now. As you know, maybe the plan was for an awesome theory to cash in by X date. Maybe it doesn't happen because we got to see what other cards we can infuse into the deck. So uh, a lot to watch here. But uh, overall, uh, Bobby Lashley still looking like money so he's still there not to be counted out at all uh going to a super chat here uh jihad x damn isa you look gorgeous tonight uh, <laughs> and that's it, exactly how i think he said it too you did a good job on that damn isa <laughs> damn isa <laughs> girl hit her up hit her up uh at nyc demon diva there's a one in there on the uh the diva uh hit her up you can uh fire your best shot uh, on Twitter directly at her rather than having us uh, interpret for you. Brandon Hall, they got to change these rules. If the ref touches, takes that briefcase, briefcase, it is cashed in. Well, no, I kind of like the suspense of can the ref understand quick enough what you want to have done and relay that official announcement? Of course, that's being a little teaser to what we're going to get to in a little bit here. <laughs> I too like that rule, but the worst example of the referee taking too much time was when Carmella cashed in and Mike Kyoto was acting like she was speaking another language. Another language. <laughs> just sitting there like, wait, you want to cash the briefcase in? It's like, are you brand new? You want to do what with a who <laughs> right now? You want to cash a check? What are we doing here? You want a hot dog? Up uh, section 202 <laughs> real quick. <laughs> are you trying to return this? You need to go to Nordstrom's for that. Store credit? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Um, very good stuff. All right, let's keep it going. Uh, up next, we get the Judgment Day out there. Uh, we get, uh, of course, in the match is going to be Finn Balor and uh, Damian Priest. Rhea Ripley back uh, healthy on TV. I got to say this. Uh, this is not to sound weird, and I know the, Rhea doesn't even uh, – she's not even on my side of the, of the plate here. I love the visual look of Rhea. I like her showing more leg with the tattoos. She mixed up something in her visual appearance. Like, I kind of bought tonight, watching her centerpiece with each guy flanking her, I kind of bought tonight, like, this feels a little bit like Rhea's group. Like, she's mind-controlling these two guys. And especially when they show the video package of her, you know, slapping Dominic around on Raw backstage. Like, this was a good little, I know this isn't probably what the Judgment Day they envisioned uh, when they first set it out to be Edge's group. But just on Rhea alone, Alfred, I felt like this felt visually strong. This is maybe the best that she's looked aside from her WrestleMania singles matches against Charlotte, where she was just kind of playing second fiddle to Charlotte. 
and I do like too that she's showing off the legs in terms of the tattoos and whatnot. And I know that I've seen interviews with Rhea Ripley where she would say she can't wait to show off her leg tattoos, and without saying why, she would say, "But I have to wear pants on TV." And I think that might be one of the subtle changes of WWE in the post Vince era, because maybe Vince McMahon wasn't a big fan of this woman with all these tattoos on her legs on this family-friendly product, and now that he's gone, that's something that she feels the freedom to do. Because I've heard her multiple times in interviews say how much she loves her leg tattoos and wants to show them off. Yeah, I think it was a great, um, a great change. Again, just a reminder: if you got a super chat, uh, we have them all. We're, we're kind of hitting them when they become relevant so don't 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 worry we will definitely get uh your super chats as we go We're yeah so we get, show, ladies and gentlemen yeah that's good gotta stick with us here uh so we got judgment day out there uh up against the mysterios is a no dq no count out the only way to win is pinfall or submission uh not much of this ma- i mean it, it, it's a pretty simple match from a storytelling it, it, it's ultimately it's three on two because Rhea does insert herself um looks like finn balor you know calling for a chair and we're gonna get some concerto action on to the mysterios lights go out Spooky music. We, of course, been seeing teaser videos for weeks. Uh, we get a lot of fire uh, at the entranceway, and ultimately Edge rises up uh, very Brood-esque. Not the Brood music, not his, his Brood entrance from last year's SummerSlam, but somewhat of a reinventing, repackaging of him. And uh, and then he charges the ring, brawling with his former Judgment Day colleagues, uh, and he's ultimately going to help uh, set Finn up, uh, who's going to get the double 619 from Dominic and Rey Mysterio. The Mysterio is going to stand tall and get the win. Uh, Alfred, uh, right decision had the Mysterio's win. And, like, I, it, where do you feel about Judgment Day? Like, I think the key is here, like, the next thing is, right, we need to have Edge and high-profile matches with Priest and Balor. We can't let this feel like a, a retribution kind of group where they just get cast off into being, you know, outcast like that, that, that that's what i'm worried about here is as we did all this thing to repolish edge is we cannot let damien priest and Finn Balor fall by the wayside yeah there's a lot of talent in judgment day but i would be worried too because i just have seen this whole storyline being kind of a steamroll where they now unable to get the better of the mysterios here comes edge i really don't see edge taking too many losses to them or even coming out on the losing edge of a feud to judgment day and i don't think that they've been built up for a guy like edge uh, the turning on him was a move that, you know, raised a lot of eyebrows. It was very legitimately surprising. I thought they could have run with that momentum, but I feel like they really didn't in the time Edge was gone. So what I was kind of seeing, if looking into the future, was that by the time Edge comes back to challenge these guys, they're going to just be built up into such a force. They, they're not. They didn't even win tonight. So they're just kind of still in that middle ground with Edge there, and I don't see Edge losing to a, a group like this. And I'm very surprised that Edge's hair is even shorter now because I figured that him being away, he was going to grow up back and just be the real edge. But no, he's still going with that uh, buzzed head. Me too. Um, yeah, and again, this is a shoot. Alfred and I have not got to talk shop uh, on the air or you know even the, via text or anything for a while. I got to ask you, wh- why do you think they did call the audible with Edge? Do you think that it was Cody got hurt? We need to we need to we need to separate Edge from being in this heel group and let him be come back as a babyface to carry us for some major shows or. Do you think he maybe thought this Judgment Day thing's yeah. not working the way? Like, what do you think was the motive there? I think it was an Edge call. The minute it happened, I just tweeted, Edge must have just thought, like, I'm not getting over with these guys. Or It's not necessarily an indictment on a Damian Priest or even a Finn Balor or whatnot who was not there at the time. It's just this group week after week, I just thought got away from them. Edge is somebody who has a Midas touch. 
This just him. I put him in the same class as Jericho, somebody who's a wrestling genius who knows how to get all kinds of things over, knows how to get over in different ways. This is just a miss. This is, everybody gets one. You know, Michael Jordan's return game against the Indiana Pacers, he went seven for 28 with 19 points. It's not Michael Jordan like numbers. And this was Edge's Indiana Pacers game where I just felt like it did not connect and he saw the writing on the wall. And I think that was much of the impetus as to why he left. And some of the scuttlebutt in terms of why the report said that that might have been it. And that's what I think it is, is that Edge just looked around. He's, he's a, again, a wrestling genius can see the future in terms of where this is going to go. And he probably didn't like it. Yeah, well, Jordan tried to come back with my Washington Wizards and he didn't lead us to any championships either. <laughs> a very underrated run, though. Jordan put up some numbers while he was with the Wizards. He wasn't the Michael Jordan winning championships as being dominant, but he was still a great player. Oh, he made me tune in some regular season games where I was like, you know, there were some games in January that I thought it was the biggest deal in the world because he, yeah. he's dropping 30 points and things. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, but it's, it's interesting, though, that you said that. Like, I, if, in fact, that was his edge's thing, like, you know, oh, I'm not – like, like he, he seemed like he went all out, like, switching to the purple, probably got some Undertaker approval for the purple and the spookiness and superpowers, getting his boys altar bridge, getting a new song from them, which Finn and Priest and Rhea are still using, by the way, mm-hmm. like – that that that's like an awful big that's a pretty quick like swing and a miss to say all right write me out of it <laughs> you know that's yeah. that's pretty so I, I i hope you know well look the next pay-per-view is the you know, clash in the castle they're making a big deal i know the european the, the crowd in europe probably is like you know we have borders uh, everything just gets, <laughs> it gets lumped into one you know if you're drew if you're seamus you're a fan if you're whatever yeah. if you're anywhere across that pond you get lumped into one this is your hometown uh, essentially <laughs> in cardiff wales uh, you know, look, maybe, uh, maybe Ireland's own, maybe, maybe Finn gets a, maybe Finn gets a match against Edge and gets a victory. Again, it's all of Europe bonds together of seeing their, their own. Um, yeah, and I hope uh, WWE understands the dynamic of rivalries within Europe because it's like if Aaron Rodgers goes to Chicago, they're not going to embrace him as an American. They're right. going to freaking hate him. Right. Let's just let's just dumb down American geography and just say that John Cena's from New York City. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Brian Barry says, what do you all think of Edge's jacket? I mean, the man's always stylish. He's never got a problem with his fashion. You know? I have no problem with that. I actually liked his pants with a Thunderbolt on him. I thought those were fire. I like Ronda Rousey's Thunderbolt. A little, it looks oh. like uh, my ACDC uh, call out there. Had a couple of them, yeah. Um, all right. Any other Super Chites for right now? I don't think so for right now all right uh so we'll see again uh cliffhanger let's tune into raw see what edge has to do in raw up next uh pat mcafee versus happy corbin now i want to know this is where the announced team switches first half is jimmy smith uh cory graves and byron saxton for your raw team and then we switch over to the smackdown matches michael cole normally with pat mcafee who of course is getting ready to wrestle so michael cole is paired with cory graves which is a great pairing this, this is the closest mm-hmm. um Keenan Monsoon, Ross Lawler, they just have that dynamic, especially tonight. Uh, and this is a threat of, of, in, of itself, Alfred. Michael Cole tonight, who has been there for over 20 years, he is just a workhorse. He is maybe even better than Jim Ross in the sense of he's mastered the WWE format of all that comes at you. Jim Ross is a tremendous wrestling announcer, but Michael Cole really you know, embodies the, the entertainment and all the stories they're trying to tell. Michael Cole tonight, was very p- passionate-filled and notes that he was going to be and that Pat's his colleague and Pat's being bullied by this guy, Corbin. But beyond that story, Michael Cole was energetic. Michael Cole was naming referees. Michael Cole was giving history lessons of it's been since this, since we have a... 
Like he gave so many history on. He recalled so many things in the past. He recalled he name dropped Jesse Ventura for God's sake. <laughs> Michael Cole felt like he was a dog on a leash who got unleashed and just ran wild and said whatever the hell he wanted to say. He even I think cursed later talking about Brock's tractor. Michael Cole felt unhinged. Corey Graves even made a point of saying at one point, I liked it better when you didn't give opinions. And Cole fired back, I'm paraphrasing, well, that's changed. A lot of things have changed, which I saw social media read a lot into. Um, This felt like a whole new kind of show with Michael Cole on the mic. It felt like he was just wiling out uh, and saying whatever the hell he wanted to say, that he had nobody overseeing or overlording him. Am I... Did you get this at all? A hundred percent. Here's how much I got this. I very much, me being the cynical bastard I am, I knew this was going to be a narrative in terms of Vince is gone. Now people are going to say that Michael Cole's better just because Vince is gone and they don't like him being in his ear. So I was kind of looking out and my expectations for this was raised. Like, okay, well, Michael Cole better be on his game. And he blew them out of the park. I thought Michael Cole was incredible. I really feel like we're in the era of Michael Coulter which is his real name, because that's what he is now. He's just the guy who I feel like is reacting, not as the robot that is being told what to do, but in the real moment. I thought that the main event, we're not going to get to it just yet, and but just to tease a little bit, part of the main event was I thought from top to bottom, every aspect of that main event was great, including the commentary. I thought Michael Cole delivered a main event caliber commentary performance because he was so into it, and he was reacting like a guy. He was reacting like somebody with a YouTube channel who reacts to things and that's what the draw is and it became exciting to me to see how's michael cole gonna react to this and he never let me down so i'm a big fan of michael cole in this era and i think he's doing a great job uh yeah jared wilson how great was michael cole tonight big props to him yeah i absolutely agree uh it it, it and look i'm not trying to it, it just is what it is um it's 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 been well documented by many people who have been on the commentary desk that no longer are there Taz, McFoley, names, even Jerry Lawler to an extent. Yeah. You know, Lawler just says whatever the hell he wants to say. That there is just certain edicts of you do or don't say this, and certain you, know, you don't say the referees' names. You don't, you know, we don't need to tell people what happened thirty years ago. They need to be focused on what happened this week. We say universe, not fans. All of these things were broken tonight. If you go back and listen to the show, all of them were were, and that's not a that can't be a coincidence. That Michael Cole, who is the best trained guy to know all of these edicts and policies, who's the guy who, you know, for Vic and NXT, for every every new announcer coming in, Michael Cole was the guy who sits and trains them and sits in and, and is there is is it's, it's, it's his tree they sit under. Um, so for him, the leader of it all, to kind of just shed all these edicts and just that's not a coincidence. Um, I, I got to think that Triple H maybe has had a list of things that he would like to implement quickly that he's always thought if I ever get to take over and he's been groomed for it for the last 15 years and he enacted them tonight. And some of this was how I think Michael Cole uh, gave off the stories more so than Jimmy, you know, Jimmy Smith's still somewhat new and Jimmy, but Michael Cole really felt like he took the second half of the show and just called it the way he felt he needed it to be called. And uh, from what I saw and what I see in the live chat right now, it's been you know, largely positive. Yeah. So uh, we get Pat McAfee, or we get Happy Corbin who comes out. Uh, there's a, a choir that appears. They're, they're, they're singing bum-ass Corbin just to add to the heat. Pat McAfee comes out. The choir singing to Pat McAfee. Gotta, we got to point this out, though. Pat McAfee came out to a huge entrance of WrestleMania to um, the White Stripe Seven Nation Army. They came out to this other, like, kind of closely resembled such 
just just pay the money and just have a Seven Nation <laughs> Army song. This was a royalty free Seven Nation Army song. Yes, it was. And they were trying to get everybody to do the chant, and it didn't really connect there. Uh, they they tried. I don't even mind the song. I thought the song was fairly catchy, but Seven Nation Army is like the pinnacle of sing alongs, and it fits Pat McAfee so well. Being an NFL guy, you know that's a song they play in the Ravens Stadium and a song they play all throughout NFL stadiums. Oh, and yeah. This just didn't work. Yeah, I don't know if this was a case of. This was decided upon weeks ago, so that's just what they had to go with, and we all had to accept. Or if this was a, uh, again, a budget thing, I don't know how much it costs to, to buy the rights to use a song like this for for the the manner in which they were. But whatever it is, let's correct it. And if whenever Pat's next match is, let's let's get that. Let's 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 go ahead and call Jack White, get the white stripes, just to perform him live to the ring. Yeah, let's just get that going. I'd love that. Uh, real quick, before we get in the match, back to our basketball talk. Shade Black. Mike was not going to walk. Rip Hamilton was the better player at the time. Mike sold a good amount of shoes at them. Though. Look, I like Richard Hamilton, but let's not even start with him. Michael Jordan was not good. Yeah, this is going to get me hot. Down. This is its own podcast. I, I can go toe-to-toe, and we'll go game by game. All 82 games, by the way, which he had perfect attendance. We can go game by game, Michael Jordan as a wizard, and how he was still a great player. Yeah, she, let's, uh, let, let's calm down. On, on a Michael Jordan hit here. We don't need that slander. Not 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 no time for that. Uh, not gonna happen. Um, all right. So we got uh, McAfee's out there. So McAfee Corbin again. Love WWE playing in the history. Both guys, former NFL players. Of course, McAfee much more notorious and successful in his NFL career. Both guys at one point were rookies in camp together. Uh, of course, Corbin not under that name, not under the name of Baron Corbin. But I liked that they played off this. They've been doing such. In the build-up to this match, that's all positive stuff. Uh, out of the gate, super kick by Pat McAfee. Suck it, young bucks, on that super kick. It was a nice little uh, nice little show. We get a swanton from the outside from McAfee. Um, uh, yeah, uh, McAfee counters the end of days. Uh, referee gets bumped. McAfee gives a little bit of revenge, gives a punter's low blow to uh, Corbin. And finally, McAfee's going to get the win with a sunset flip. Pin from the second rope. Pat McAfee, uh, I don't think I think he's undefeated so far in his WWE career. All on big shows, NXT premium show, and then WWE premium shows. Uh, but again, Pat, uh, I, you know Logan Paul has 24 million Instagram. I don't have Pat's stuff in front of me. Of course, he's a Pittsburgh guy here, so I got a lot of love for him. Uh, but Pat's no slouch. <laughs> he's he's got a giant podcast and radio show every day. He's got a giant following. Is is huge investments. Corey Graves, a fellow Pittsburgher, jokingly calling him a hillbilly millionaire. <laughs> Another cash-in here of social influencers that just can show off and wall out on major shows. And WWE's getting good at this. I think they should continue to do this. I think this is very much, even though WWE's always been good at integrating celebrities, it's basically how they built the company, is Mr. T does not get enough credit for pretty much being the difference between WrestleMania 1 launching WWE and them going out of business. And so that's part of that. And they got Nick Khan in there who, you know, he's going to know how to integrate that type of uh, celebrity. And, you know, Pat McAfee, you talk about the 24 million followers. He's got about $24 million he's making every year. So I don't think he's hurting in that department. I like this match. I love Pat McAfee. I'm a big fan of just about everything he does. I thought he, he did have a couple of slip ups where he almost slipped off the ropes and there was things here, but I will say this, and this is not me trying to spin. I do think that that kind of thing endears himself. Cause I think, 
Pat McAfee is the ultimate everyman. And him being in the ring, especially the way he dresses in the ring, it's just almost like a fan's going in there in the ring and it's like the underdog, <laughs> the everyman. Yeah. So when he kind of does slip up like that, I really do think it endears him, especially when he's, he's such a good athlete. He can save himself from that and, and able to recover. So I do think it's an endearing thing about him. And I just think that Pat McAfee can do no wrong in terms of these matches in the buildup. I agree. It does make it a little more realistic of like he's, you know, just slips enough to where you're like, oh, I would probably do that. But he saves himself. He's athletic. Uh, you know, he chugged a beer, he chugs a beer <laughs> at the end of it. I mean, yeah, he does. He is the very much a, a relatable kind of guy. And then, of course, Monday morning he'll probably be on the show, or Monday afternoon rather, he'll be on the show, and he's probably going to talk about the few slip ups where he's probably going to talk about what was going through his mind when he almost you know fell. And but hey, look, maybe the ropes were a little unstable. We even saw Ray Mysterio. Ray actually even botched his finish after after six one nine. He tried to springboard in. Ray even botched, so maybe the ropes were a little loose. I don't know. Yeah, and he better not blame it on the Jordan sixes he was wearing. I will not have any of that either. Well, she's back to the the Jordan. She goes. It's true <laughs> in reference to Mike. Took a lot of shots to get twenty points per game. Hey. He she is just poking you, my friend. He really is. Listen, we can have a conversation because that is a very valid point. But you know, Kobe Bryant built a career on taking a lot of shots, making a lot of points. Look, listen, Michael well, Jordan. What did Mike there. say? You miss a hundred percent of the shots he don't take. A hundred percent. So sometimes you got to take a hundred shots to make one. I love it. Uh, Ralph uh, Ralph says, uh, oh, big super chat. Thanks, Ralph. Uh, I'm logging in late. I enjoyed the show tonight. My casual friends love the premium live event. Keep up the good job. Yeah, that's look, uh, Ralph, great comment. Uh, if you showed up late, great comment. That's fair. I watched it alone in the man cave tonight. Uh, Alfred, I know you said you watched the brother. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, this was definitely a show. We always, I, I always joke, at least, about there's some segments in pro wrestling, especially WWE, uh, you don't want your wife to walk in on. You don't want your uh, – non-wrestling watching friend to walk in on this was a show though you know forty thousand plus in a stadium you know logan paul pat mcafee and and, and you know and, and the name you know, this is a show where you could don't feel ashamed of you could sit somebody down and they could watch us and be like man this feels like a big deal i i, I truly believe that and that that's a that, maybe that's the biggest compliment you can give to a wwe show yeah, and I watched with my brother, who I wouldn't classify him as a casual fan because he is a wrestling fan, but he is more casual than he's ever been in terms of really he comes over and watches the premium live events and whatnot and kind of has to be caught up on little things like that. But he thought this was an amazing show in terms of being somebody who's coming in relatively cold, who's not following every single thing that's happening on TV. So that's more of a casual mindset. I feel like he came in with it, and he had nothing bad to say about this show. Yeah. Corey Pride. MJ is yes, big there you go. That's the MJ. Those are the MJ Super Chats I like. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Pat, uh, I guess so now we wait to see what's the next big one. Uh, he, he poked and prod a little bit at, at Corey Graves. Corey did so in commentary. And full disclosure, everybody here in Pittsburgh. Uh, Corey mentioned Plum, Pennsylvania. It's a, it's a borough here in the Pittsburgh suburbs. That is where Pat went to high school. There is a sign that says home of Pat McAfee. Pat's donated a lot of great charity and, and fortune to the Plum Athletics. Corey Graves was one neighborhood over in Monroeville, <laughs> Pennsylvania. And so this is all actually very real. They are all, they literally are neighboring rival, you know, rivalries and they grew up all together here. And they've all been, of course, you know, Corey coming up to the Indies here in wrestling, Pat always loving wrestling, going the NFL route. So uh, if Corey Graves is, is medically uh, cleared, I do not put it past the fact that we might get like a, whatever happens in the commentary to, to kind of come to the, to be the next thing on uh, you know, from Pat McAfee, because I think it just 
all parties would be having a blast. And, and bring Michael Cole into it. You know, why not? Yeah. Maybe yeah. it's Corey Graves and Baron Corbin versus Michael Cole and Pat McAfee. Yeah, and that's what know. I like about the dynamic also. Uh, and you touched on this as well, the, the commentary between Corey Graves and Michael Cole, that Corey Graves is shoot best friends with uh, Baron Corbin, whereas Pat McAfee and Michael Cole, we all know about their relationship. So I, I think they did a good job because they just they just have chemistry. But I think they could have taken it further in terms of being on the other person's side and, and bickering. Yeah. All right, one last basketball from Shane Blacks. One last poke. Honestly speaking, Scotty with Sheed and the Blazers were better than Jordan with the Wizards. Oh, yeah, that's not a hot take at all, for sure. Sheed was a bad boy, and those Blazers should have won the NBA championship that year. And It was a miraculous comeback by the Lakers with one of those all-time uh, Shaq to Kobe alley-oops. Like, yeah, that, that team should have won the championship that year. So I, I, there's no argument there. I'm not arguing about the team, but just yeah. look at Michael Jordan's individual performance. Scotty ran into a time where Shaq and Kobe were on the same page. You know, he just... Yes. Yeah. And they <laughs> was... still should have beat him. They had him on the ropes. It, it was it was done. They were dead to rights, but they made a miraculous comeback. One of the all-time choke jobs in NBA playoffs history. Good call. Uh, Bryant. Uh, oh, hang on. We'll get to that one, Bryant. Sorry. Uh, we'll, get, we'll get to the Street Profits here in a second. Uh, sorry. So Pat McAfee, uh, again, uh, undefeated uh, in his WWE uh, big match uh, resume. We get a Drew McIntyre promo. He comes out halfway down the aisle. They give him the kind of the Gene Oakland platform. He gets to cut a promo, gets some fan front row named Colton over, a big old Colton, Colton chant. The uh, whole thing here is Drew is going to be the number one contender. He's going to fight the champion, uh, uh, the winner of Roman or Brock at the Clash of the Castle, which they made it official in SmackDown, but we'd all kind of just assumed for the last couple of months that like, they're doing this big show. It's the first premium live event again in Europe since you know '92 SummerSlam. We all just kind of assumed Drew was um, going to be involved in the world title match main event, but they make it official at least in the storyline. Uh, but Drew cuts the promo, so good to bring him out, I guess. Um, you know, Alfred, what do you make of this kind of dynamic? And this kind of plays into the, the main event, which we're, we're still a few matches away from. But like, I mean, you just have to do it. You can't go to Europe and not have your biggest babyface and Drew not be pegged as a challenger. Right. I mean, even if he's going to yeah. lose, you still just have to for box office purposes, you just have to tout that he's in the main event. hundred percent. This is going to be the most jeopardy. I feel like Roman Reigns is in as champion. I really cannot remember the last time Roman Reigns went into a match and I legitimately thought, oh, man, this might be the night. Maybe within the match, they did something to kind of trick me. But very rarely during this 700 day run have I ever thought, oh, man, tonight's the night. And. At Clash of the Castle, it's going to be some near falls with Drew McIntyre. If he doesn't win, then I'm going to fall for it. And I feel like I could see an actual scenario where Drew McIntyre wins that title. They've talked up Roman Reigns' run. We've Ever since the event was announced, there's been this feeling out there that Drew McIntyre could get that moment that's been evading him since WrestleMania 36, and it could happen in Europe. So I, I think that's an amazing dynamic to have, and it's something that we don't see very much ever with Roman Reigns since he's come back as a heel. All right. Well, we'll uh, well let's let's table the Drew booking for once we get it back around to the you know to the the main event tonight of who's going to become world champion. But um, again, it's just something format wise. Drew comes out, street clothes got the, got the sword, but you know they they put him up, they prop him up on a on a platform there, uh, mid aisleway. Something that we don't often see, but I felt it looked good because I was like, you know, why make him go all the way 
it's a long aisle way. Why it goes all the way to the ring? I thought it was kind of a nice touch having him basically essentially cutting this promo in the middle of the crowd. And so. Drew was great here. He's really good off the cuff. I remember when WrestleMania had that weather delay. He did a great job just doing an unscripted promo. Yes. I remember the first time I thought to myself, oh, my God, Drew McIntyre might be the guy in terms of the next top guy. He was cutting a promo, and then just off script, he just starts riffing with some kid in the crowd, and it went really well, and he kind of endeared himself. And that's when I went, man, he's probably going to win the Royal Rumble and go on to be the guy. And, and that kind of gave me those vibes. Him and Bobby Lashley, they were the troopers. They were also the biggest victims of the pandemic, you know, yes. of the empty arenas. We're not going to take a break. We're going to keep doing shows every week, but you two have to be the big heels, the top heel and top face to make this go. And that's, yeah. you know, yeah, there's there's a lot to that. That, that, that. that in itself is a documentary one day of WWE in the pandemic era. Yeah. Um, all right, so moving on. We get uh, tag team action here. We got the Street Profits versus the Usos. With Double J, Jeff Jarrett as a referee. All right, before we go to this tag, let's talk Jeff Jarrett. Uh, for those who are, are in the WWE bubble, Jeff Jarrett uh, grew up in the wrestling business. His father, Jerry Jarrett, famous Memphis promoter who, who tagged in the Memphis division with uh, Jerry Lawler. Jeff Jarrett, of course, you know, came up, worked USWA, worked WWE in the 90s, left, went to WCW, came back to WWE, uh, went, he founded TNA Impact, a lot of success a controversy there founded global force wrestling married kurt angle's wife in the process <laughs> um you know now he's back in WWE as an executive he's also part of rick flair's last match to sunday night if you're listening to us live it's it's later tonight uh in nashville jeff jarrett uh alfred Maybe nobody better has thrived in the political atmosphere that is pro wrestling. For purposes of alliteration and catchphrase, I want to call him the cockroach of Carney, <laughs> but that sounds like I'm shitting on him, and I'm not. I want to compliment the guy. Yeah, I'm not trying to call him a, co- a cockroach and a derogatory. I'm trying to, start, trying to say he's indestructible. This yeah. guy, it's 2022, and he is now an executive in WWE when Vince is on his way out, is refereeing matches, is getting a payday in Rick's last match. Holy hell. And here's another thing that impresses me about Jeff Jarrett and him being whether you want to call it a cockroach, somebody who's indestructible, getting all these bags. That is the backbone of being a professional wrestler, being able to get get that check, get paid, make your towns. Jeff Jarrett's doing that. And what's the most impressive part is that when Vince McMahon bought WCW, of all the things he could have said, of all the people he could have taken a shot at, he opens the show taking a shot at Jeff Jarrett. G double O double N double E gone because like he was putting with persona non grata after pulling that stunt with the uh, holding him up for money or whatever you want to believe. And despite all that, Jeff Jarrett is still not only to ingratiate himself with WWE, but also be an executive. Like this guy, we might need to consider him as one of the greatest workers in the history of professional wrestling. And I mean that just like you said, as a term of endearment, like this is what wrestling is all about. Cockroach Carney. I'm just going to print t-shirts for it. I like that, yeah. <laughs> Get a good logo, a cockroach cartoon. That could be something. Uh, Shane Black, Jeff Jarrett was a hell of a... Yeah, look, again, I, I, I'm making... We're, look, Jeff is a good worker. Why? I mean, Jeff has a fantastic match against Shawn Michaels that, that made its rounds recently after the um, the Broken School Sessions with, 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 with Austin. You know, uh, Jeff was a good hand. I mean, he, he was a mid-card kind of like afterthought in his run in the 90s with WWE, you know, he was just kind of, but don't 
let's not get it twisted here. Jeff was a good hand. Jeff is a, an amazing striker in terms of your talk about you know working punches. Um, you know, he, his main event run in WCW felt forced, but we all still remember, you know, slap nuts and don't yeah. piss me off and, and the things that he made famous. And, and then again, he found a TNA, which was a viable second company for a long time. And, and, and again, he's just managed to keep himself alive. He's managed to keep uh, a key on his ring for every company and he's able to get into the door of every company. So, um, if this doesn't work out, you know Jeff Jarrett's going to be all elite. Like, it's just, oh my let's God. just check all these boxes at this point. I don't put it past that Jarrett can't muscle his way to be shoulder to shoulder with Tony Khan if it came to that point. He might be able to pull off the finesse where he works for AEW while working for WWE somehow. Jeff Jarrett, if anybody can do it, it's Jeff Jarrett. It'd be a hell of a pitch. <laughs> Remember, and this kind of reminds me of the night he showed up in WCW. It was like the night after a WWE pay-per-view, and he grabbed his balls and says, who's got the stroke now, bitch? Yeah. And he's got uh, the stroke all these years later. He does. Uh, Jeff Jarrett. So um, so Jeff Jarrett's out there a special guest referee because we need a proper referee for the battle that's been the Street Profits and Usos. Uh, Street Profits, they got the Titans cheerleaders out there giving them some, uh, some, some pomp and circumstance. Up against the Usos. The Usos, again, this is all attributed to Michael Cole, who's got all of his facts out there. 376 days, 376 as tag team champions. Uh, we've seen this match before between these two. Always very entertaining. This match was entertaining as well, but not nearly as good, I don't think, as their Money in the Bank match. Uh, I don't. I can't put my finger on what was missing. I don't know if it's just a time constraint. I don't know if it's just the the arc of how the match was built. But it was not as good. But it was it was what it was. Uh, Usos do win hitting the one D. Um, so Usos retain. Um, I, I, Alfred, what more is there for the Street Profits at this point? I mean, I, I, now I think we have to start to. I, I hate to. I hate to Shawn Michaels, Marty Janetti, and Angelo Dawkins has certainly been trying to prop himself up to not be Janetti, so to speak. He's you know he's been trying to, and even commentary said put some respect on his name. But I mean. I don't feel like there's much more the Street Profits can do. If they can't beat the Usos at SummerSlam, what, what else is there for them to do? And if you saw the post-match, the post-mortem, they're kind of sitting in there. You get the close-ups. There's no settling in WWE, not even in this era. You get the close-ups of Montez, close-up of Dawkins, and particularly with Montez, he did not look happy. And he just had this existential look on his face. Like, he's just looking down like, what am I doing with my life? I need a change, you know. Not to put words in the guy's mouth, but... The way this was shot after the match definitely made it seem like, uh-oh, we might be headed for a split. All right, so if this was a month ago, we probably are thinking Montez Ford is in a little bit better shape. He's got a little bit more charisma that comes off. He's kind of been, again, I just you know, we're all, you, know, you and I are the same age, great. We, we, you know, we, we, make it the Rockers, the Sean versus Marty. But now we're in the Triple H creative. And I have to think that Triple H, if he sees something, he's not going to want this to be a Janetti michael situation. He's going to want to try to find a way. Okay, let's let's get let's get a payday off of you two having a, a blow-off or a breakup, but how can we do it to where we don't bury one of you? One yeah. of you being Dawkins. I have to think that would be the mindset. Let's, let's put you on separate brands, obviously, so you can have your own identities. But I have to think there's got to be a figure, uh, a, a project of how do we not let Angela Dawkins just fade off into in obscurity? I think it's very hurtful in the wrestling zeitgeist, that concept of Sean and Marty, 
because I feel like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy where it's such a famous angle and Shawn Michaels became such a big star compared to Marty Jannetty kind of falling off for reasons outside of wrestling. People forget if you actually were in real time, Marty Jannetty was actually a damn good worker and a pretty big star coming out of the Rockers. It's just that he kind of self-destructed on the way. And that had a lot to do with why he flamed out. Uh, he was Intercontinental Champion. They weren't really trying to do something with Marty. I just wish that that wasn't such an automatic thing that people go to, that, oh, who's going to be Sean? Who's going to be Marty? There need to be more templates where both guys go off and become successes. I think the best version of that, on a much smaller scale, obviously, is TNA's Beer Money, where James Storm and uh, Bobby Roode became fairly big stars. I believe James Storm won a world championship before Bobby Roode, who was pegged as a Shawn Michaels. And so I just wish that was more in the zeitgeist and that, oh, what are these two guys going to do coming out of this stable? Much like The Shield, how they all became big stars. Sure. So I do think there is a universe. And Dawkins, he's heard all that chatter. And he's, I feel like he knows that the their days are numbered. And he's been working his ass off. And he's got that spot he does where he does leapfrog into the suicida that's just amazing. And I think he's got something for that ass for anybody who thinks he's Marty Janae. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and look, I mean, Sean was still the better reformer over Marty, but like Sean also had like the luxury of, you know, it's not like you know, Marty had his problems, Sean had his problems too. Sean just happened mm-hmm. to have a, a good group of guys that propped yes. him up. You know, Sean, you got to get upright, you got to get to the building here. Marty didn't have that, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> all things to consider here. Uh, she Black says they're going the way of Ricky Starks. Uh, that could mean a lot of things. I mean. The Starks, I thought, looked like an absolute superstar this past week, and I really hope that they they elevate him. But uh, Bryant, uh, hey guys, great show tonight. But why the Street Profits keep losing title matches? Just asking. Stay safe, twenty twenty two. Well, Brian, I think I think that's where we're at here. I think it's yeah. If they 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 don't want to disrupt the Usos' title reign, I, I think they've maybe they feel like they've gotten all that they're going to get out of the Street Profits as a unit. Um, or who knows? We, you know, we're, we're we're so trained to think wrestling wise that you have to then become opposition, but. You know, let's look at the New Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, the New Day has been on wrestling timeline together for forever, since 2014, I think. And they've managed with the Uda, New Day, even though they've had to navigate uh, injuries, they've managed to let them sell but still stay as a unit. Maybe... The street profits stay aligned, watching the watching you know their each other's backs. But one goes to Raw, one to SmackDown, and they have a singles run both as babyfaces, and it's not a contentious, uh, tumultuous breakup. Uh, I love so that. I, you know, I, I think all things need to be considered. Just to, it doesn't have to be one stabs the other one in the back. So, yeah, I, I love that. I really do want to see somewhat of a run. I know they tried it with Seth and Becky, and it really wasn't that great because I just don't think they have great on-screen chemistry, but I think Bianca and Montez doing an angle as a mixed tag team, doing something of that nature, I think that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll see We'll see, that, uh, we'll see what happens. Jared Wilson jumps in here. Uh, Bobby Roode, does Triple H now help his course in WWE? That, 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 that question could be uh, asked for so many people. Of Does Triple H, I mean, we have to remember, it's still, there's still only so much TV time. You know, not every, you know, so you know, we'll see. Uh, Bobby Roode, obviously, again, you have to look at the guys in his mid to late 40s. You know, is he a guy you want to build your future, you know, around? Nothing against Bobby Roode, but just to everybody thinking of these questions, I think that's yeah. that's thing. But look at for. all the speculation of, is this guy going to get a chance? Is this Remember when SmackDown with Shane McMahon was the land of opportunity? Yeah. More of a gimmick. This feels like the literal land of opportunity where it's like, man, 
You know, Bobby and Rube, maybe isn't catering like this might be my shot now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Shade Marty was suffering from alcohol- alcoholism at the oh, time, among other things. I think I think alcoholism might have been the least of his worries. I think the alcohol was there to, to alleviate the pain from the other things he was doing. Shout out to Marty. Marty <laughs> one of my, when I was a kid, Marty is a '90s kid. Full disclosure: I loved. I was I, I, even though Sean ended up being my favorite wrestler of all time, I was more of a Marty guy than I was a Sean guy. Were you a Marty fan when he was with Leaf Cassidy? For the, New oh, the New Rockers. That's when it started to get away from him. I'll give you that. <laughs> I do remember that. And they came out as a New Rockers, and they really tried, but uh, no. First time, in, first time in the history of this podcast that uh, Leaf Cassidy's ever been uh, <laughs> yeah, Good for him. When he woke up this morning, did he know he was going to be mentioned on a nationally syndicated podcast? Oh, Al Snow. All right. Uh, hey, by the way, I gotta give a shout out because I was featured all across this Hall of Fame induction. It's it's, it's on the archive. It's on Peacock. You can see it. Kid Rock yes. is ringside. Yes. yes, Kid Rock. His song was one of the two songs used tonight. But things on Kid Rock is sitting ringside with uh, I. People knew who her name was. I don't know who she is, but uh, Kid Rock slipping some tongue, dropping some middle fingers, testing that Peacock sensor. It ain't. I mean, kill Kid Rock's in Nashville now. He's a, he's a, he made his home in Nashville. He's sold out Detroit. He's in Nashville now. He's a country guy all the way. He's slipping the tongue, middle finger. Uh, obviously, has a long-standing connection with WWE. I mean, it, you just gotta have. You can't use Kid Rock's song. You can't be in Nashville and not have Kid Rock do some obscenities on on TV. This whole thing might have been one of the five best moments on a show that was a really great show but i mean i popped like nobody's business i i think households nationwide were going crazy for this trash tammy was the woman that he was with and That's they right. played their roles impeccably i just thought that just from the moment i saw it on screen i was like oh this is different <laughs> he just took it and then he made out with him and then the topper with the middle fingers that had to get blacked out by the censors it's just kid rock living his best life he's out here wild and i love it Oh man! Uh, yeah, go back and watch his Hall of Fame induction. I'm all over his induction. Love it. Uh, this moment needs to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Trash Tammy needs to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. And look, I'm not. I'm not here to get political. I'm not here to talk about what Kid Rock stands for, what he does. It doesn't. I'm just here to say, I've been to like eight Kid Rock concerts, and I'm again. I'm just talking about. It's a thrill because the dude plays all of it. I mean, he, he's not as uh, – don't stereotype him as just the white guy who raps. He's – so I just get a thrill out of Kid Rock so on that on that level. I'm not preaching politically here. Um, just wanted to mention the Kid Rock reference here. Uh, so just as Kid Rock gets his shout-out and censor, we go to the commentary test, and then we, like, kind of see, like, chaos that somebody, somebody jumped the barricade. I actually <laughs> thought for a minute that Kid was a little bit uh, into the gym beam. I thought maybe Kid was taking matters into his own hands. But, no, it's Matt Riddle that has jumped the barricade. Uh, Riddle was in the crowd. That's hilarious. Riddle gets into the crowd. Uh, from goes to the crowd into the ring. He grabs a, pro, a mic, gets a promo. Uh, he wants Seth Rollins. Now, the story here is, Riddle is injured. He's got a, a neck injury, which we believe to be all storyline. He's actually fine. But we don't have a match on the cards for he and Seth Rollins, despite their feud. He calls out Rollins. Here comes Rollins out. Uh, you know, agents and uh, you know, referees trying to stop him. They end up brawling in the aisle way. Ultimately, though, Rollins does get the better of Riddle, curb stomps him and everything. So we kind of get like a, a non-match match that happens real quickly here. Uh, Rollins gets the better of Riddle. Alfred, what do you think was the purpose here? This definitely felt like just on the timeline of it looked like they're going to have a match. Then 
Vince steps down, Triple H comes in, this gets scrapped from the card, but then still infused in this crazy manner. Um, what do you make of this? Is this a, this is a money match, let's save it for another pay-per-view where we need, or another premium event where we need a big match? Is this somebody is injured? Is this, this storyline has already gone too far gone, we need to get out of it? Like, what, what do you make of this uh, change of direction here? Yes, I do think that they are saving it for the Cardiff show, which is weird because WWE has been running back one rematch after another on multiple pay-per-views. But again, might be another indication of a new era that they want to save it and make it something special. And maybe they were in a little bit of a bind. Seth Rollins has been losing one pay-per-view match after another, with really having an incredible year. You know what? Seth Rollins is like Justin Labar to bring things back. Seth Rollins is like Michael Jordan on The Wizard, where he personally is doing incredible work. But maybe not the results are there when it comes to the win-loss record. And uh, maybe they're just afraid of either having to choose between Riddle and Seth because Riddle has been losing left and right too. And these are two pretty big stars. So maybe they wanted to save that for the next pay-per-view. But I just thought it was a really weird move, especially this close to the pay-per-view, to take this out. And also the show ran very long. I mean, we're going to get into this Liv Morgan-Ronda Rousey match. I feel like that was cut for time. And maybe they just looked at the card and felt that this was going to run too long because the card did go... I believe into the 8.30, closer to 9. Yeah, I mean, this show for runtime, I think, was uh, we were three hours and 45 minutes. Yeah, with another match. And, you know, Riddle and Rollins, if they're going to have the just-do match. That That's a 20-minute match. Oh, at least. Like, they're getting time. So yeah. maybe they looked at that, like, let's just save that for Cardiff. Yeah, I, I kinda, especially when knowing if Riddle's injury is, again, a, a kayfabe injury. Um, this was just a chance to, like, remind everybody there's still a problem here, conflict, but... Again, let's let's not do a whole match. Um, so yeah, uh, she black. Uh, I was more of a Marty fan than See, Sean. that's something we can agree on. Look at us coming together, finally agreeing. <laughs> All right, so uh, Riddle and and again, uh, a cliffhanger for Monday. Let's let's see what we got here. All right, let's go into. We got two matches left. Uh, we got the uh, SmackDown Women's Championship match. Liv Morgan defending against Ronda Rousey. Um, this match here, uh, b- both ladies are playing a baby face role and I, I go on that only on both of them are smacking hands the entire entrance way to the fans so this is a baby face baby face kind of dynamic at least of course the storyline here is that you know live being one of three women charlotte and becky the other two to pin ronda but of course live got the luxury of doing it on kind of a surprise attack of the money in the bank so now ronda's preparing for her it can live live up to this hype. That's the story here. Uh, immediately, Ronda is focusing on Liv's arm, trying to get her in, in an arm bar. Uh, it, 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 otherwise, it is a kind of a sloppy, really quick kind of sloppy exchange. We get to the finish pretty quick. Uh, word on the street offered is that supposedly this match did get cut for time that apparently Logan, Paul, and Miz went long. Mm. Maybe that's where this gets cut. Um, but nonetheless, we get into the finish, which is kind of a clever finish. Ronda locks in an armbar submission, but she is, uh, for those who didn't see it, I'll try to describe this. She's got this armbar on, but Ronda is basically standing on her shoulders to wrench this armbar in. So her shoulders are pinned to the mat. The referee starts to count three because her shoulders are pinned to the mat. As the referee is in mid three count, we see Liv tapping on Ronda's knee. So simultaneously, there's a count on Ronda's shoulders. Liv is tapping. The ref is only seeing Ronda's shoulders, so the ref rings the bell. Winner is Liv, 
based upon a pinfall. But as they, as as Michael Cole and Corey Graves, uh, you, know, you know, go through the the camera angles, it's clear that's what happened, and that the tap out technically happens before the three count. So, a funny finish that kind of protects both women here, protects Ronda especially. Ronda then flips out. Uh, you know, judo flips the referee, and, and it's just going crazy here. Ronda appears to have a heel turn. She also not. She also attacked Liv from behind. Um. Again, I go back. Do you like this? Is this a Triple H walks into the situation? God, we've, you know, is this the right scenario to have Liv as champion, have Ronda here? What did you make of this scenario? And what is next for both of these women, Liv still champion? Yeah, and if you're going to beat Ronda, which they don't do very often, this is a good way to do it to make her still look strong. I thought that this was a clever finish. I thought the match was very short. I was actually kind of disappointed in, in that I thought that this was kind of presented as one of the semi-mains that was in that position. So I expected them to get more time. But I had no problem with the finish. I Triple H, a student of Dusty Rhodes, so we get that mm-hmm. Dusty finish. Good for them. And I like—I was kind of surprised to see Ronda freak out and turn heel this abruptly, but I liked how it looked. It, it kind of made, especially back-to-back segments where they, that Rollins and Riddle segment really made the officials and referees look like idiots, where they're all just running after Seth Rollins <laughs> while he's running to Matt Riddle. And then this, where they're just getting their asses beat, just made them all look like the Keystone Cops in back-to-back segments there. But I, I did not have a problem with this finish. I just was a little disappointed with how short the match was. And Liv didn't really get much of anything. No, this did not at all further the parade uh, of of live fandom at all. This um, this made her, I mean, because look, she clearly tapped out before the the pinfall. I mean, this made her look very much like a uh, a fake champion. So yeah. that's why I ask, like, whatever creative forces were behind shaking things up again, whether it was motivated because of the Sasha Naomi stuff, whatever, whatever was behind shaking it up and having her cash in and win at Money in the Bank, and now here we are four weeks later. And she looks barely a champion. I just wonder if this was a, yeah, we we have to start to shift things here, and and we're gonna get the title off for sooner than later. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. Uh, we get Mayor Kane out in the ring real quick. He announces forty eight thousand four hundred and forty nine people in attendance, and then he proceeds to hit his pyro. Uh, Mayor Kane, of course, the mayor of of Knox, Tennessee, a few towns over from Nashville. Uh, of course, uh, Mayor Kane. Uh, no shortage of controversy around him right now in his no, political no. stance. Uh, Alfred, I'll let you take this one. No, we got no mention of Clarence Thomas or the Supreme Court, which I think is a victory for this segment. And Twitter was very much reacting to this. I did hear some booze peppered in, in terms of announcing Kane. And even though he's mayor of Knoxville, Tennessee, there are some people who may not. WWE's audience skews very liberal. So there are people who are wrestling fans or not fans of what Kane has had to say, but hey, I'm not going to define anybody by their political takes. I'm obviously not a fan of the things he's had to say politically, but he's there to announce a attendance number. I'm not expecting highbrow political integrity from really any politician. So let's just announce our numbers and get on with our day. I, I just see some great tweets of uh, let's send out the politicians uh, to lie about the yes. inflated attendance numbers. He's just like, no, I'll lie. No, I know how to lie. Let me let me have that, Triple H. <laughs> all right here we go main event time stick with us here if you didn't watch here we go roman reigns 680 days 680 680 days as champion as again michael cole who was just statistician he was stumped the swab tonight as michael cole 
Only four have held it longer than him. Pedro Morales, Bob Backlund, Hulk Hogan, and Bruno Sammartino. So we are, so truly, as Michael Cole said, in the last 35 years, nobody has been this dominant holding the world championship reign, which I do think is significant because I think at this point, Roman Reigns has built up such equity, such credibility with his reign that if you're going to have him lose it, you better damn well make it good. Which is why I was kind of dismissive going into today of, of a theory cash in, which we'll get to. Because if theory cashes in, you make Reigns losing not the top story. When Roman Reigns loses, that needs to be part of the headline in my mind, Alfred. You've you've worked this hard. That's a big deal. So let's keep that in mind. 680 days. Up against Brock Lesnar. Last man standing match. First time ever for last man standing match for Brock Lesnar. This is SummerSlam. This is Brock's ninth SummerSlam main event more than anybody else. And again, Michael Cole rattling off all the stats. Brock Lesnar's first big SummerSlam main event against Roman's cousin, The Rock. So scene is set. This is the final battle between these two men after many uh, headline shows. Uh, Brock ends up driving a tractor to the ring. First time ever. Drives a tractor. Jumps off the tractor. Luthes presses uh, Roman Reigns. Uh, Brock's on top for the large part of the start of the match. Roman Reigns, he uses a rock bottom to put Brock to the table. Nobody actually kind of mentions the rock bottom, but I thought that was worth noting. Uh, Brock puts Roman, um, uh, ends up putting him through, uh, put him on the tractor, dumps him out of the tractor onto the ring. Uh, we get a several close false finishes. Uh, Owen Roman thinking that he's down for the count, but he gets up at the nine before the 10 comes. Brock gets a guillotine. Roman's out, back up at nine and three quarters. Brock gets in the tractor. He moves the ring. Alfred, have you ever seen a visual of the tractor? We've seen the whole big show Brock Lesnar spot of the ring breaking. Brock Lesnar shifted this ring and upended the ring. The crowd was in a gasp. This was this was unprecedented. Yeah, this is amazing. It's funny because kind of the narrative going in there, and I'm guilty of this too, is just like, what can they possibly do that we haven't already seen? They've wrestled time and again. And then I see this, I'm like, well, I've never seen that in my life before. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so we finish it off. Uh, Brock's continuing to do this stuff. Uh, Heyman steps in and basically tries to cut this off. And mind you, all the Heyman-Brock you know, dissension over the last couple of years we never really got a payoff, and here we get the payoff. Brock finally scoops Heyman up and gives him an F5. That, to me, kind of felt like, okay, this is the finale of this feud because they finally had Brock put his hands on Heyman in that regard. F5 sends to the table, so Heyman's dead to the world. Here comes Austin Theory running down with the briefcase. Is he going to cash in? Before he can explain all the terms of cashing in, he gets bamboozled and attacked. <laughs> um, so he doesn't get to cash in. He gets f 5 Roman Reigns uses the briefcase as an assault weapon. He uses the belt as an assault weapon. Several rounds of false finishes. Are we going to get to the 10 count? No. Brock stands up before we get to 10. Finally, the Usos and Brock Lesnar bury, or excuse me, the Usos and Roman Reigns bury Brock Lesnar under announce table, under chairs, under steps, under all the debris that is out there. And Roman Reigns retains the title, beating Brock Lesnar for what's supposed to be the end of the story. Uh, a lot of super chats. We'll get to guys in just a second, but it feels like we finally have put the end to Brock Lesnar as the guy who could potentially dethrone Roman Reigns. Do you agree? 
and what's next for Brock? Because we know what's next for Roman. Roman's got Drew up next. And that's a whole debate there. Does Drew win it in, in Europe? But what about Brock? And before you answer this, Alfred, I want to put this out there. I was watching this match closely. We all know the drama that happened a week ago when Vince retired and whatever, and Brock, you know, maybe he walked out, but he came back in time for SmackDown. Brock is a guy who has dealt exclusively with Vince. Brock does not go through middlemen. He's not dealing with Carano and Laurinaitis. Brock deals with Vince. So Brock now has to deal with a guy in Triple H who was once his peer, who once had a healthy rivalry for who can be the better match, the bigger draw, what have you. All that taken in, is this Brock being done with his run, or does he still want to do business in the Triple H era of creative? I just threw a lot out there. Please unfold. And these are great questions. And as long as Brock Lesnar loves money, which he does, I'll never truly believe that he's done, especially because WWE always seems to bring him out of the emergency glass case for certain scenarios. And I just think he's one of those rare presences in WWE, at least for right now, that does have that main event cachet that is seen as a legitimate star. And there still is a lot of value in Brock Lesnar, especially as long as there's an AEW. Just the mere thought of Brock Lesnar showing up in AEW, I think is enough to, for WWE to at least keep him nearby. I don't think we've seen the last of Brock and Roman. I just feel like there's always going to be a way that they can go back to there in that match. I really hope we're done for the time being. But I think what's next for Brock Lesnar is that he goes away and the next time they need him for some big angle for to just show up out of nowhere i could see him for a wrestlemania program getting over somebody like a riddick moss you know one of the guys that they see something in who's up and coming but i, I don't see brock lesnar necessarily coming back for a while actually yeah i kind of agree i mean we have a, <clears throat> the saudi shows of course to account for and, and you know several stadium shows that they want to do now but uh i i want to believe they're done with brock and roman and again more so Back to the theme of the night. If Triple H is in charge, I think he wants to try to alleviate redundancy of rematches. And God, there's been no more redundancy of rematches for major shows than Brock and Roman in the last decade. So I think, I, I want to believe this probably was the end. And that's why maybe even Heyman influenced and said, I need, to, I need to finally get my, I need to finally eat shit from Brock. And he needs an F5 because that needs to happen if we're going to wipe the story done. Uh, but I agree. I don't, I don't, I can't see Brock in such good shape he is with such a cookie-cutter, great-paying deal that he still isn't around. Whether it's whether it's somebody that's there right now, like a riddle, or somebody that they feel that they could elevate, or whether it's, again, pulling into the bag of, of, of creative, you know, does Killer Cross come back and we build a cross up to him? Whatever. I, I agree. I don't think Brock could be done, 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 but I, I want to believe that him and Roman, this probably was the final chapter, and I don't think you could, t I really don't think you could top this. I don't think tractors and upending rings and seeing things that we really have never seen, I don't think they could top this in any which way, and again, if Triple H is in charge, I think he would recognize that like, there's nothing else to be done here. Um, it just seems like we're on the inevitable ticking clock for when can we get Roman versus The Rock, because that is your biggest box office draw. Yeah, and Dylan Matthews, shout out to friend of the show, Dylan Matthews, Brock versus Gunther, I think would be a, a very interesting match to have. They really right. seem excited about Gunther right now. Right, there's a list of guys, right, and that's a, that's a refreshing feel. Mm -hmm. There's a list of guys, Gunther, and guys that you might start to say, well, okay, who could, go, who could be the guy to try to challenge a Brock? Who could be a guy that Brock has all, the, all this credibility? Who could be the guy that could push him to the limit? And, and you go from guys that are there now, like Gunther, um, again, to, again, the, the Fiend, the, the Killer Cross, to 
you know, um, Braun Breaker, like you know, the guys that are in and out of the system that could still be players of who could Brock, you know, Brock, you know, make a uh, make a splash with for some fresh uh, box office appeal. All right, let's go into a lot of super chats. A lot of people want to get into this particular match. Not a surprise, it is the main event. So let's do it. Uh, Grant, being patient here, Grant, thank you very much. You sent it on earlier in the show. I appreciate it. He says, excellent show. Almost all the matches are four uh, plus stars. Uh, in my opinion, Brock versus Roman was absolutely incredible. Thank you, Grant. Yeah. Uh, our friend Sheed, Bianca, and Roman's match were the only good matches of tonight, in my Disagree. humble opinion. I thought there were some good matches on there. I, maybe those were the best matches, but they were definitely good. I, I feel like this match, even though it was three and a half hours, this pay-per-view really kind of flew by. It did, yeah. There was no dragging. There, yeah. I mean, the second half slowed a little bit, but I, I think this was well done for, for all, all things considered. Uh, Jared Wilson, Heyman selling when the Usos carried him out. He's the greatest. Yeah, I, I noticed that too. Heyman is the greatest, man. Uh, D-Hub, do you see Ronda Heel going to give Liv a bigger push and make the women's division look stronger? I, I, I think the women's division, again, we, tonight was a proof that there's, there's going to be an invested effort and we have to, and I didn't even mention, there was a Charlotte promo. I mean, they, they, there's an effort of here. We have to spice up and use all the women. Look, WWE has a better women's division than any other wrestling promotion. Better than, better than anybody. Yeah. And they have to utilize it. I think that they know that. Yeah, and NXT, Triple H built NXT, and he knows better than anybody. It was built on the backs of the women. Those were the best moments in NXT, Sasha versus Bayley, the four horsewomen. It was built on the backs of the women being the alphas in that promotion. Absolutely. Um, all right, back to our Super Chats here. Will Roman and the Usos drop in the same night? Oh, good question. I think they should. I mean, go back to NXT. I've been saying that about if Toxic Attraction are kind of have the same vibe going. And I thought that's where they were going with them. But I could absolutely see one night, all three of them, it's time to go. It's time to pass the torch. I think it would be very ceremonial that they dropped it all in the same night. I agree. The uh, The entire bloodline impl- imposes on one night, implodes on one night. Steven Marcatilli, better dream match, big match for Brock, Cross or Breaker? Uh, I mean, right now, Breaker obviously is where the investment is, but I think if they could if they could reset and reintroduce Cross properly, uh, I think there could be money in both. Yeah. I think you're going to have to wait a little longer with Breaker, but I think if he lives up to his potential, which he already kind of is, yeah. I think that would be a great match. Andrew, if WWE cannot do the Rock versus Roman at Mania, does Cody take the belt from Roman? Um, I, I think so. If, if for some reason they can't do the rock, I think it's kind of pegged, right? Cody comes back and he wins rumble. Yeah. It's just a matter of, is there two titles? Is there one title? What's the situation? Yeah. I was really hoping it would be Cody and I still kind of am. I, you know, I think they can still do that in terms of letting him hold it and then having Cody win the more rumble. But I, I do think Cody is on the short list of people who will dethrone Roman Reigns. Bid moon. We, the ones with a the shot there. Thank yes, you. Are. And finally, Peter, think Alfred versus Tony Twitter finger should have a main event at summer. No, 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 no. Don't shortchange me. We're main eventing the big show. Okay, we're <laughs> going to WrestleMania here in Inglewood. Uh, he needs to come to my hood and let's see how tough he talks when he's in my backyard. You come to Inglewood, California, and uh, take your little Twitter device. <laughs> that's what we're doing. Oh, that's a great one. It is 1.30 here on the East Coast. Um, Alfred, final thoughts, final plugs. I thought it was a great show. It's just such an energy around WWE right now with this new era, and I'm feeling it. I just am very excited to see where they go forward, and I think that's invaluable to have, and I really hope that they capture that and they keep it going. I agree. Anything this possible. Uh, back Monday night after Raw, a lot of cliffhangers. Make sure you tune into us and see what happens on Raw. 
uh, see what the follow-up of SummerSlam is going to be. He's at This Is Nasty. I'm at Justin Lamar. Thanks to all of you guys for the Super Chats. Appreciate it. Download, like, subscribe, do all the things. We'll see you Monday night. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.